Welcome to Crime Corner, once again, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. In case you've forgotten, I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. Well, in the words of Michael Corleone, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Crime Corner has been on an extended hiatus longer than I initially expected, and I apologize for that. But we're back now, so deal with it. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to put a shout out for the San Diego Writers Festival, which has become Summer Festival Days, and they're having an all-day event tomorrow on Zoom. I'm moderating a panel at 2.30 called Unwinding the Mystery of Writing Mysteries with Lisa Brackman, Kathy Cravat, David Putnam, and Carl Vondro. They'll all be on the panel. You can find the info on San Diego Writers Festival dot com slash summer days all right my next uh, my next guest my only guest today i'm excited to have bruce robert coffin i mean he's got a uh, bio that could go on forever but we're going to keep it short we only got about a half hour bruce is the award-winning author of the the detective byron mystery series and former detective sergeant with more than 27 years in law enforcement at the time of his retirement from the portland maine police department he supervised all homicide and violent crime investigations for Maine's largest city. Following the terror attacks of September 11th, Bruce spent four years working counterterrorism with the FBI, earning the Director's Award, the highest honor a non-agent can receive. Wow. So his latest book, Within Plain Sight, is the fourth installment of the award-winning John Byron mystery series. And after all that, welcome, Bruce. Thank you very much, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you. Um, it's funny we're we're uh, friends on Facebook. We don't know each other very uh, well. I think the only time, at least the last time we met, was uh, at the only, well, the last mystery conference of 2020 at the truncated Left Coast Crime out here in San Diego. A little happy exactly. event. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, was, so uh, I read a long flight for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet. Did you uh, did you fly out? Um, like the day before, and then fly back the next day. I did, I yeah. I, uh, where I met you for for the breakfast thing, and I got there at supper time, I think, the night before, and and then I turned around and and actually was able to get my flight changed, and I uh, was jump I jumped on a plane Friday morning, first thing Friday morning, and I wasn't due to fly out until Monday. Yeah, yeah. That thing we kept. We kept counting down on that. It's like, um, you know, they, we'd hear the uh, San Diego health officials say, well, can't do this, but this is still open. I think we were the last large gathering probably in all of Southern California. Anyway, so I read Within yeah. Plain Sight, and I have to uh, admit it's the first of your books that I've read, and I thought it was really good, a great police procedural. Obviously, a guy knows what, he, what he's doing, but um, also really good writing. So tell us a little bit about uh, Within Plain Sight and John Byron. Uh, so, yeah, John is uh, coincidentally does the same job that I retired from. He's the detective sergeant uh, for the Portland Police Department, and he is uh, in charge of the homicide and violent crime detectives. I figured you might as well uh, not go too far astray from what you know. Right. And uh, John, John isn't me, but he, he obviously has the same job that I had. And um, really, these books are a sort of a journey of his life. Um, I when you first meet John, which in the first novel, which is Among the Shadows, he is—he's uh, badly damaged. Uh, he is separated from his wife, uh, but but no divorce is official yet, and he is dealing with some 
leftover baggage from from his childhood. He had a, a traumatic incident happen uh, to his father when he was a teenager, and his father, coincidentally, was also a Portland police officer. So the the first uh, book in the series finds John investigating somebody who is uh, actually picking off one at a time the officers that worked alongside of John's father. And I, I thought that was a great vehicle to try to really give the reader an introduction and who John is and what made him tick. And right. by the time we, we get to the fourth book, and, and John is, is uh, dealing uh, not very well with, with an alcohol issue in the first book when we find him. And by the time we get to this book, um, I, I had a sort of a character arc planned out in my mind. And believe it or not, I actually managed to stick with that. So uh, by by this book, uh, with the plain sight, John is still, you know, thrust into another new case, but he is also now trying to learn to deal with life uh, on the wagon. Uh, he's uh, officially, uh, can, you know, admitted to himself that he does have an alcohol problem and is, is on the program and has a sponsor. And so he's trying to move forward. And this fourth book also examines a little bit of what that is like. Yeah, it, it does it really well, too. And it also gets into a little bit of police politics, which... Um I thought I always love when I read Connolly's, you know, with Bosch kind of against the both systems. Um, And I see that with John Byron, um, kind of how people are promoted and things like that. I thought it was really interesting and I'm sure, unfortunately, true. Yeah, it's a little too realistic, I think. Um, It's it's just the nature of the beast. And I I would guess that that's probably true in a lot of different venues uh, that that people can make a career out of. Um, I think the, the issue with that particular job where you're investigating or supervising the investigation of homicide, really, I think it's probably even worse because uh, everything is on the line. I mean, you know, the stakes couldn't be any higher. And in, in as in real life, and what I portray in the books is that the, the person supervising those is under pressure from the people above him to solve it. Uh, the people across the street to solve it yesterday so that they, you know, somebody can get out in front of the camera and say, we've taken care of this problem. And uh, at the same time, you know, you're trying to make sure that uh, John's trying to make sure that his detectives have the tools they need and the freedom they need, uh, the autonomy to actually conduct the investigation uh, unencumbered by those politics. So sometimes that can get a little rough. Right. And and, uh, like leaking to the press, that sort of thing. Um, I imagine that really goes on, too, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a real thing. Uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I think there might be a method uh, to the madness, but sometimes it's just a really just fuck problems. And uh, as I illustrated in that book, you, you never know yeah. who it is that's doing leaking or, or whether or not it's even legitimate information that's being leaked. Right. So you, uh, obviously uh, this book is – well, John Byron is somewhat autobiographical. Um, How did you come up with the name John Byron? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, everybody, everybody uh, eventually gets around to asking that, and and I said, you know, I when I started the series, I really didn't. I can't remember what the first name was, but I I just sort of used a placeholder for John. And what I wanted to do was try to encapsulate uh, life the way I knew it when I started with Portland, and really, uh, well, I started in 1985. And the the city and also the police department were still largely comprised of uh, Irish Americans and Italian Americans. And that was reflected within the police department personnel. Mm -hmm. And and probably, you know, probably 10 uh, percent French Canadian and and that kind of thing. So uh, I wanted to try to address something that was was similar to my own background and that I wanted uh, to be able to portray uh, 
one of those heritages, and so I went with the Irish Cup. And what I wanted to do was it was have a real strong name, but I didn't want to get something that seemed over the top. You know, I, I wasn't going to name him Inspector McGillicuddy or something along those lines. I wanted something, you know, sort of sort of uh, compartmentalized, but also a strong name. And so it just so happens that I have an actual friend uh, by the name of John Byron, uh, mm. who's a hell of a hell of a golfer. And um, so I decided to pick that name. I just I, I like the sound of it and, and thought it would be a lot easier uh, typing Byron uh, every time I turn around than McGillicuddy. So we went with that. And when I when I sent the book in, uh, I was getting ready to send the, the finished manuscript in for the first book. Uh, and my wife said, geez, you know, you, you should probably check with John and see if he's okay with it, even though I'm not, you know, obviously this character is not him, if he was okay with using the name. And so I ran it by him, and, and he said, well, I don't know. I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, is he, he's not a pedophile or anything like that, is he? I said, no, no, I'm not writing a book about a pedophile. I said, no, uh, John, is, uh, he's got alcohol problems, and he's divorced. And John said, oh, I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Use the name. That's perfect. So uh, John Byron was born from that point on. Well, your buddy's got a great name because it is a great name. It's a great strong name, good cop name. It's funny about naming um, um, characters in books. Often, as you know, because you go to a lot of conferences, there'll be um, auctions for um, someone to pay to have their, uh, a character named after them in your book. And I always ask, yeah. do you mind if you're a killer or what have you? And, and er, like everybody's always said, oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, I'd love to be a killer. Right. But you made your friend. I mean, he's he's on every page, basically. So that's um, right. pretty cool. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, he I, buys I, a book for gifts for his relatives, and he has, me, he's, he has me sign them out special for, you know, because of him being so famous and all. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> right. Um, so when did you retire from the police force? Uh, I retired in September of 2012. Okay. I can't believe it's been almost eight years, but here we are. Right. It flies when we get older. Yeah, um, it really does. Were you writing as when you were a cop? I was not, uh, other than reports, uh, which are nothing but long and tedious. There was nothing enjoyable about writing those. Um, I really started writing again. Uh, I, my dream when I went to college was to become a writer, and uh, that that got put uh, in the – in the back drawer, I guess, as it were. And uh, I went on to law enforcement instead. And I didn't write anything creative until um, the, the spring of 2012. I would no idea that I was going to uh, plan to retire that year. And uh, I got the bug and started writing. Uh, actually, I think one of the catalysts was, was my wife bought me an iPad that tried to bring me into the 21st century. And uh, I started writing. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the story started coming out about these detectives in Portland and, you know, making up the characters and it, and I really took to it again. I, I was very excited about writing, uh, like, which I hadn't done for 30 years. Wow. So what was your degree in, in college? Uh, well, I think I majored in, uh, keg parties and billiards. I think that was probably, uh, as far as I went, but I, but I focused mostly on communication and, uh, and r the writing class. I took an advanced, uh, creative writing class and, that really was the thing that unplugged me. Uh, I ended up um, having a professor that was, was far less than nurturing. And uh, the message really to me was that I couldn't write well enough <laughs> to think about being published one day and uh, that I should <laughs> think about something else. So that's pretty much what I did. 
And, uh, that, you know, I carry that around with me, which I think is, is probably one of the reasons things have gone well, because I'm, I'm too stubborn to give up. And I, I felt like I had something to prove. Um, but I also carry that and, and it's a great thing to have to pull out and to talk to uh, college kids about and uh, high school kids. And I, and I talk to a lot of different classes and, and really say, you know, don't let someone do that to you. Um, right. You know, it's, uh, you may not be where you need to be yet, but if it's a dream you really want to chase and you're willing to work at it, um, then, you know, time will, will tell how things work out, but don't give up. And really for me, I, I had no idea that, that my police career was going to actually end up being training for, uh, you know, the stories that I would want to tell later on. So it, it, it was fortuitous that it worked out that way, but I don't think that was his plan. So, well, it's to the right person that uh, you can't is about the best thing you can say to him. To the wrong person, it crushes dreams. So, just kind of right. matters what's in. Yeah. So you obviously have a wealth of stories to um, pick from when you're writing books. Do are all the case have the, all the uh, major plot lines so far? Have they been actual cases you worked or knew of about? No, uh, no, they're all fictional. I, I sort of made a deal with myself uh, when I first started out that I wasn't going to do, I didn't want to write anything that would echo too closely to, to stuff that I'd worked on because mm-hmm. I, I guess I felt like if I was going to do that, I, I might as well write true crime. Right. And for me, you know, I, I felt like I'd had enough true crime, <laughs> honestly, um, even though what I'm writing is, is similar in nature to, to what I actually did for a job. The fact that it's fictional, you know, there's a certain catharsis in that, I think. And yeah. so it's an escape for me. Whereas if I was writing stuff that actually happened, I don't think I think it would still be stressful. So I've I've gone out of my way to come up with story lines that are original, you know, not anything that I worked. And then, but the stories themselves, the books themselves, I populate with a, with a lot of um, you know real life scenarios or or, or sure. things that I've taken apart and put together for my own use. But uh, so a lot of the, you know, the things that happen in the book may be things that actually did happen either to me or to people that I worked with. So I, I think that adds an element of reality that, that the story calls for, you know. Oh, for sure. And it's it's there. It's there on every page. I mean, thank you. if I had not known uh, your background when I was reading this police procedural, I would have thought um, this guy probably was a cop because it's there. But it's also a very strong voice. And uh like I said, this is my first book, your latest uh, of the four, but um, it's really, um, really excellently done, and I really enjoy the voice. Um, well, thank you. So we already said that, obviously, that you didn't want to be too autobiographical, but in some sense, I guess you probably were. Has that changed from book one to four? Do you see less of yourself in each book, the same, more? I, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I, when I started doing this, my mentor actually was Kate Flora, who's a who's a New England uh, crime writer as well. And I remember uh-huh. that one of the harder things I had to learn, uh, and and I think that's I spent two and a half years writing that drawer novel that that no one will ever see. And I think mm-hmm. the hardest thing for me was um, I was able to capture elements of myself into John that I wanted to use, with the exception mm-hmm. of. Um, anything vulnerable. I, I, hmm. I think I felt like, because I was drawing, you know, I was dipping the ladle into my own, you know, psyche, I think to a point, even though he's, he's his own character. And I, I think I was afraid of, you know, revealing too much that might be vulnerable about myself. And so I held that back without realizing it. 
Mm-hmm. And we had a discussion because she realized that that's what I was doing. And she said, you know, he's not you. John Byron is John Byron. And I said, yeah, I, I understand that. And she said, but you're not you're not showing the other side to him. You're not showing us anything that would be, you know, considered vulnerable. And she said, so I give you permission to write, you know, the sensitive side of John Byron. And I thought, geez, it's sort of simplistic, but she's dead on. I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing. And, and that's exactly why I'm doing it. So after she said that, uh, writing John and, and writing the whole John, the, the real the real character, I think became a lot easier for me. And I, I think really one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is that John, I think, speaks to the reader because I show that other side. Uh, right. You know, he's not he's not the superhero. He's not, you know, he's a flawed right. guy. And he's, he's like all of us. He carries baggage around with him that sometimes affects how he deals with a situation and uh, affects how he thinks and, and sees the world. So exactly. I, I, what I a great advice. Yeah. Yeah, it really what was. And, and, and yeah. All she needed to do was tell me to go ahead and do it. And somehow the, the shackles came off and I was able to write John as, as his own person. So, Right. The vulnerability is what makes great writing. It's what makes great characters. And, and mm-hmm. obviously, as we know, superheroes in human form sell really well, but um, right. a lot of people want to see the want to see the the damage. And uh, I love reading the damage. I love writing the damage. And he's got it all. And you uh, do that well, by the way. Congrats oh, on your famous award. That's uh, that's thanks. well deserved. Thank you. Yeah, mine yeah, is com- mine is actually nonfiction. It's completely uh, autobiographical. I just write about my life and all. <laughs> um, I knew that. I knew it would be. Yeah. Just. <laughs> But yeah, no, Just, I think you're right because the Superman, you know, no one can identify with that necessarily. I mean, we all fantasize maybe about being that, but I think the flawed characters are things that that the characters will share that we all possess. And I think when you, as a writer, if if you're writing those things and you're writing, you know, real problems that people face every day, um, then the readers can identify with that, and I think it makes it a stronger bond uh, where they'll stand by the series if you're doing that. Right, and if they, and even if they don't like it, you still get a strong response. Sometimes when I get bad reviews, because I read them all, um, I think, well, you right. know what, this guy hates my stuff, but it, it got to him. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you did evoke a response. That's and right. that's. I think that's the goal of every writer, right? Exactly. So um, when you started, uh, did you did you have any short stories published before your novel? I did. I had one uh, before the first novel came out. Uh, it was called Foolproof, and, uh, and actually the anniversary of that uh, just came and went, uh, the acceptance letter that, that came by email. I think I saw that. Uh, I, 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 was, I tell you, right now, honestly, I was at probably the lowest point I had been. Um, you know, I'd been writing at that point now for, I think, like three, three and a half years, and I honestly thought, you know, I'd sent in a few short stories and, and gotten the rejections, and I'd sent in yeah. manuscripts and gotten the rejections, and and I realized, you know, I realized people do this far longer than I uh, had at yes. that point. But I was really beginning to feel like, you know, what am I doing trying to write a novel if I can't even get a short story published? Right. And not not a day later, I ended up getting this acceptance email for my first short story, Foolproof, and um, that came out in November of 2015. And that same month, I got my agent, uh, and we began negotiating with um, actually two major publishers uh, had expressed interest in in the John Byron series. But we started negotiation that month, and um, 
in February, we had a deal with HarperCollins for the first three novels in the Byron series. And coincidentally, I, I found out in, in February as well that Foolproof, the only thing I had had published to date, uh, mm-hmm. had been picked as one of the 20 best uh, mystery stories published in North America. And uh, it was going to be in the 2000, uh, 2016 Best American Mystery Stories. And <laughs> that, so almost, were, that almost made the three-book deal seem pale. I'm like, wow, that's just unbelievable mm-hmm. that happened. So. You were uh, you were overnight success after three and a half years, which actually is an overnight right. success. That <laughs> right, took a lot of us a lot right. longer than that to ever get anything published. Um, so you got a three book, and by the way, I I think the um, the titles are all good, and I think the covers are really good. I think Harper Collins does a really good job with the covers of your books. Um, I particularly right. like um, Within Plain Sight, and um, I think your first one too. Thank you, Among the Shadow. Yeah, and the great title. So yeah, um, they got to be happy with there's a, there's uh, how a guy named, for it. There's a guy named Guido Karate uh, who is uh, who is uh, a New Yorker and, and never been to Maine, and uh, he has designed the covers for for all the uh, books, and he's really done a great job. So I keep telling him I've got to drag him up here from New York and uh, have him check out our great state. But yeah, he does a nice job. You'd think he actually lived in Portland with some of the covers that he cranks up. So. Right. His name is Guido Karate. Karate. Yeah. It's it's not spelled like. The, uh, right. the fighting, it's spelled with a no, team, it's just, clearly, yeah, no, uh, I've been watching, uh, I watched The Godfather again, and I watched Casino lately, and I watched um, um, Goodfellas, and I figure he could have been an extra, or maybe somebody you arrested in your early years. That's a great <laughs> right. name. Right. <laughs> if you don't he put that name up, I might. Awesome right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, so I, I I lost my train there. So when you wrote the first book, I mean, thank God you got a three book deal. That's fantastic. But you did you intend to write a series when you wrote the first book? Uh, you know, I really w- was conflicted on that because, like like I'm sure you did when, when you first started, uh, everybody has advice for you. And <laughs> one of the things I kept hearing was, you know, just move on and write something else. Why would you write a another book, you know, in a series when you don't even know if you're going to be able to sell the first one? And I thought, okay, well, that's great advice, but, you know, I'm trying to be positive here. And if I think I can actually sell this first one, why wouldn't I want to get a head start on the next book? So right. that's what I did. I, you know, I, I thought, well, what the hell? And, and uh, it worked out. My agent said, uh, you know, she said, you realize this is the first question they're going to have uh, if they decide they want to publish this book is what, you know, what's the next book about it? So I was lucky that I did that in that when we finally signed the contract, um, my second novel was already, though, or at least the first draft of it, was half finished already. So right. I really felt like I had a head start. And, um, you know, I knew it was going to be difficult with a timeline finally, uh, you know, to, to beat the deadline and get it done. So I, I think that gave yeah. me an advantage. And it also allowed me the chance to learn more about my characters by continuing the series. Right. Um yeah, all of a sudden you have uh, somebody else needs the uh, book at a certain time as opposed to – I mean, the first book, you know, it took me 10 years. Um, right. And thank God it took me that long because it wouldn't have been as good if it was right. published earlier. But, um, you know, now it's a book a year, and that, right. uh, you know, that makes you more focused. Uh, yeah. So speaking of during the it, – it is. It can, I mean, some people do two a year. I wrote – I wrote six books while I was at a day job 
Um, and now I find writing one in a year when I don't have a day job anymore really difficult. But um, anyway, right. speaking of, so we've all uh, <laughs> we've all been shut down lately. Has the um, this incredibly uh, difficult year, the shutdown, has that been good mm-hmm. for you, writing wise or bad? Horrible uh, for your you know, it's right. Yeah, it's 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 horrible uh, for the whole thing. I I think really one thing I found is that it's really hard to focus. Uh, you know, social media in general, I think really tends to be a black hole, or or just like research is. I mean, you can get lost in in the stuff that's going on. And for right. me, I found it very difficult to concentrate uh, to get through a novel. And in fact, because I need more more stuff to deal with. I've actually got five novels going right now, um, oh my God. and I just sort of switch back and forth. Um, one of them is a Byron novel, and the others have nothing to do with the series. So uh, at some point, they'll all get written. It's just a question of how this works out. But the one thing that actually has worked is I hadn't written a short story. I think everything that has been published of mine, uh, with, with a few exceptions, had been written prior to uh, my series coming out. And mm-hmm. so I hadn't written any short stories and I, and honestly I was afraid to go back and write a short story thinking I'd forget how to write a, a you know a hundred thousand word novel and mm-hmm. um, because of this and I think because of that short attention span it's really worked well for the short story genre and I've I've yeah. been given a bunch of invitations and I've and I've cranked out some new short stories and I'm I'm really excited to see some of these anthologies come out um, one in particular that I, I'm very excited about won't be out until next year but it's uh Josh Patcher reached out, and um, they were doing a Jimmy Buffett-themed anthology. Uh, I think it's called like the Great Gas Station Robbery or something. And I'm like, how do I how do I not want to do that? Like I'm in. And uh, I grabbed uh, I grabbed uh, one of the albums that I that I really loved uh, the title of a song on and the idea of the song. Uh, the song itself's not great, but the lyrics are really good. And uh, so I I based uh, my short story on uh, Incommunicado. And uh, mm. I'm very happy with how that turned. It was kind of fun. I, you know, it took me away from the Byron series and, and let me uh, go into this other little world for a while. And so I think without the pandemic and all that other stuff, I probably wouldn't have done that. So. Hmm. It's funny how many anthologies have these uh, musical underpinnings, right? I know it's crazy. Every year there's like four or five. Um, so every ex-cop that I know, a few ex-cop writers or um, FBI even, the ones that I know well, that I talked to about writing, even if they don't um, outline, they're all very structured. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that the same for you? Are you very structured in your writing? Um, probably not as much as I should be. Uh, <laughs> but I think when it comes to imagining the story or, or thinking about how I want to do it, um, I, I think I attack it the same way I attacked an investigation uh, with the police department. So there's a there's a logical sequence in how I want things to go and, and what kind of things I know will get in the character's way. So I, I really kind of have that. It's almost like it's a mental template that I'm using as I write. So I'm not I'm not writing it down in a big long outline, but mm-hmm. I but I have that template in mind as I'm writing as I'm moving forward. You know, I know what I what I want to have happen next and, and where I want to go next. Um, and I know what my options are, even if I haven't figured out, you know, what direction I want to go at, at page 60. I know what my options are. So mm-hmm. I, I just sort of carry that around in my head, I think, as, I, as I'm plotting. Usually I have 
I have probably a real good, I bet I have third, when I start writing, I probably have a good third of the book figured out. Um, obviously the beginning, because I know I want to grab you. Um, I have a rough idea of how I want it to end. Uh, and hopefully I've got a good ending in mind already, because that makes it so much easier to work toward. And mm-hmm. I have a general idea how I want to get there. Um, yeah. But beyond that, I, I really kind of like to leave leave it to chance and leave it to the characters to sort of guide me. Um, I think it makes it a lot more interesting to write a book that I don't know every aspect of, you know, before I start it. Right. I think we're very similar in a lot of ways, except for the third of the book in your head. I have a good third of the first page in my head when I start writing, so I'm, I'm <laughs> off and running. <clears throat> I can get down to that halfway You're point. You're yourself for sure. <laughs> okay, occasionally. Right. So, um, so let's well, let's just briefly. I don't want to end on a downer, but talk about what you've been doing because your book came out in late February, which is basically when everything started shutting down. How have you been able to promote yeah. the book, and uh, how has it affected you? Uh, you know, it's been tough. I I do a lot of appearances a year. I think I average about 40 or 50 appearances every year. And um, I know, I already knew going into this that those really do motivate me. Um, You know, especially as the series has gone on and the readership grows, uh, it's really, uh, it does something for you. It gives you that emotional boost, I think, to keep you going when you're writing a novel. To go out and, you know, go to a town you've never been to before and have, you know, 50 people excited that you're there. You know, and yeah. I, as I pointed out before, my own family doesn't get that excited when I show up. So, you know, it's nice to have a room full of strangers that are very excited to, to hear what you have to say and, and want to read your next book, you know. So this has really kind of robbed me of that as it has so many other writers. And I and I think even more than, than the promotion aspect of it, I think it's just taken the, the adrenaline, the mental adrenaline to be able to, to write the books um, without having that personal interaction and, and having that boost that I get from from meeting people that can't wait for the next novel. Um, that's, that's probably been the hardest thing. And then if I had to say there was one, one other thing that was probably second to that, it's, it's getting to hang out with my fellow writers. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I was really settled in and excited to get to my first Left Coast Crime and get a chance to chat with some people and thought, okay, this is going to be a good long weekend and, you know, we'll talk about all kinds of stuff that we all deal with. And, uh, you know, the rug was pulled out and, and that was it. You know, that's, that's the only conference, you know, a little part that I did for the whole year. Everything else has been canceled. So you and everybody it's else. really hard not to be able to bond with your, you know, we're all the same kind of creature. And it's, right. it's nice to be able to, you know, share successes and, and, uh, and chew the fat about things that are working or not working. And, and uh, to have that taken away is really tough. You know, I feel like I am that, that hermit uh, writing books in his house again, like I was when I wrote the first one. Right. Yeah, for me it was tough because we only had one night of poker and I lost, so I didn't get a chance to win my money back. <laughs> That's the only thing that could have made that any worse um, if I lost. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it was such I, I, so many things are going on behind the scenes for the uh, Left Coast Crime in San Diego, and the organizers had to deal mm-hmm. with so much. And I thought they did such a great job. I mean, they really were shuffling stuff on their plate that that beforehand and then that one day and like every hour you get an update about what was going on i think they really i think it was going to be a great conference and i think for a one-day conference that that you, you couldn't beat it anyway so oh, i've got a couple of questions. Yeah, no questions i'm sorry go ahead no great energy yeah no question yeah about it. that was one of the reasons i went you know i obviously everybody was worried about what was going to happen with with shutdowns and stuff and i thought geez these right. guys have worked a whole year to put this on 
Um, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, they'll have to turn me away. I'm going to go, you know, so. Now, you mentioned that you were, this, this I find strange, you mentioned that you had like five books going at one time. I had a CJ box on last year, the year before. And it's one of the years mm-hmm. we writes two books. And I, we're talking beforehand, before we went on air. And I said, uh, well, shit, it's been a busy year for you. You know, two books. How do you find time? He goes, well, really, it's really sort of like 18 months because I start, I do a Joe book and I start another book, whatever the other series, another series. Um, right. And then I put it aside for a while. So it's really more of a, it's not two books in one year. Now you're, but, but I can sort of, I can sort of see, I mean, I'm so anal, I'm straight ahead. I got like one idea and I, I just write it. I think it'd be hard to write two, right. but I don't know how you could have five different ideas going at one time. Yeah, it's really, it's almost like shelving, it's exactly what he's saying. It's almost like shelving them. I mean, I had, I've had, uh, you know, probably a couple of those manuscripts that I haven't looked at or even thought about now for three or four months. Um, but I was really, I had a good start on them when I put them aside. So I, I think it's just it's it's been more of just that lack of concentration. You know, I I come up with good ideas for something and I want to get it down, and then next thing you know, it starts to take off, and then something happens, and I'm like, okay, I got to go back and work on this other one. And so it's 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 weird because I would rather be putting all my energy into one novel, but at the yeah. same time, it is allowing I think to stretch you know the creative muscles a little bit and to to kind of peek into different characters' worlds, which I don't get the chance to do by writing just Byron, so. All right, you always got something else to pick up. I mean, you get bored with this yeah. one, I go to the next yeah. one. Um, right, it's true, so yeah. Do you have, is there a, you started with a contract of three, you've written four, obviously, mm-hmm. I imagine you're writing another mm-hmm. one, just another Byron. Do you, is there an end date, is there an end plan for John out there, or are you just going to keep writing them because you enjoy it, or they're still paying you? You know, I do enjoy it, and I, I think it's—I think I'm just going to know. You know, I think we all know as as, as readers. I think we all know when when a writer hits the wall with a series, or you know, you, we all we all I think are allowed one one flub, kind of a thing. And uh, but I, what you don't want is a couple of those in a row. And I think yeah. I'll know when I when I don't have anything else to say about John Byron or his characters, and I don't feel like I've arrived at that yet. So it's yeah. almost like there's still more stuff I want to know. And so I think as long as that exists, my own curiosity about these characters exists, then I'll I'll keep writing those, and and we'll see what happens. You know, hopefully hopefully the readers will stay motivated enough to keep this going. So that's really what it boils down to. Seems to me like uh, from all the um, reviews you've gotten on Amazon, and, and I think you're doing fine there. Um, so what's yeah, next? I mean, we, we know there's five books you're juggling, but what's going to be the next one that's published? Uh, I think, well, with any luck, the next one will be the Byron, um, and I've, that's tentatively titled Under the Gun, and um, I will involve the, uh, my plan is to involve the fire department in the next one, and I haven't really delved into that side of investigations yet in the series, so, um, and, I, and I think there's a, some interesting twists that I've already, I've already got worked out, and uh, hopefully it'll, it'll be a book that, that readers will really enjoy. Cool. <clears throat> and where can people find you online? You can find me online at brucerobertcoffin.com. Uh, and that, that site has has links to all the books and, and also the anthologies. Uh, there's a few anthologies right now that are uh, also uh, fundraiser, nonprofit things. Uh, I'm a historian, Yonder, Yonder uh, that, that anthology that came out. And then there's also one uh, that's a fundraiser for the COVID uh, Foundation and 
Um, so those are those are fine. I mean, you can read stories from other people as well. So um, I'd highly recommend people check those out uh, if they haven't read any of my short stuff as well. Cool. Well, um, Bruce, I really appreciate you coming on, and I would highly recommend uh, readers to read Within Plain Sight. I know that um, when I get a chance, and and we know, writers know how, how difficult it is to get a chance to read what you want to read, I'm going to read the entire right. series because uh, I really think it's one of those series that, um, like you said, you want to see what happens next. You got a, a really a smart, uh, internally uh, tough but damaged character that's a lot of fun to read. And and really good writing. So I rec- highly recommend Thank it. you very much. Thank you, Matt. I and appreciate maybe it. maybe if we ever have a, uh, a uh, conference again, I'll see you down the line. <laughs> that would be great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, someday. All right. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks. thanks, Matt. You bet. So I want to remind everybody again that uh, tomorrow there's a Zoom conference called um, Summer Festival Days. You go look it up at uh, SanDiegoWritersFestival.com slash Summer Days. And I'll be monitoring the panel with my friends, uh, Lisa Brackman, Kathy Cravat, David Putnam, and Carl Vondero. It's called Unwinding uh, the Mystery of Writing Mysteries. One last thing. If you're in a book club and would like an author to answer questions and talk about his work, I'd love to talk to you. You can find my email address on my website, mattcoilbooks.com. I want to thank everybody for listening. I haven't done this for a long time, but um, I'm going to get back on track because I had a good time. And I'm going to have to spend good times lately. So we'll see you in a couple weeks.